Is it on the shelf now? Are you ever going to use it again, do you think? Oh, I just used it this morning. I was actually on a call. I forgot to take it off. I don't like being a virtual face in a meeting of real people, but the rest of the time I love working in it. But how much less do you use it now? Oh, I use it daily, like a few hours a day. Oh, okay. Sure. What do you mean a few hours a day? What are you doing? Well, I work in it. Working on what? Well, my stuff, I design, I draw, I respond to emails. All our team, we don't do video calls because I find video calls really exhausting. So we try to do audio calls all the time. It gets everybody more focused. And so I can be in VR. Hmm. Is that true that video calls are more exhausting? I think so, yeah. Yeah, look, I think that's proven. Hmm. Looking at your face, and that's why you're supposed to hide self you. It's distracting. Your brain gets kind of overloaded with all this shit. The old school phone calls back. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a show about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey, and I would love to sell you a membership to The Rebooting. Each week, I am joined by Troy Young and Alex Schleifer. This week, we're taking a bit of a more structured approach per Troy's directive. In the news segment, we discuss the enduring power of the Super Bowl and why maybe Roger Goodell doesn't get enough credit for the job he's done. And we also discuss the new sports streaming service from ESPN, Fox, and Warner, and why Troy hates threads because it's Applebee's and he would prefer to be in a dingy dive bar, which I believe is a fairly accurate description of X. You could overhear an interesting conversation or you could get a bottle broken on your head. Never quite know. But our main topic is the new internet. The internet has gone through many different epochs. There was the CB radio hobbyist phase early on. Then we went into portals and then to search, and then to platforms, and then, well, we're still trying to figure out what's next. The simple but profound shift that Troy identifies is a move from searching to having things delivered to you. Because a lot of the value on the internet is extracted from the hunt. Even the anachronistic internet terms, surf, browse, click, engage, imply some movement. And it was in that movement that money could be made. Google set up the most lucrative toll booth in world history, after all. Now, I've been listening to the very excellent Empire podcasts. Anita and William just wrapped up a season on the Persian Empire. And one of the big takeaways that I've had is that there are many advantages to running an empire. And I can't shake the feeling that we are entering into a new age of empires. Only instead of nation states, we have giant tech platforms in charge. The open internet was something of a utopian dream, but I think that's mostly over now. Now for the media business, and it's something we get into in this episode, the question is, how do you survive in this age of empires? We're seeing already the decline and fall of some weak states, and many others will follow this fate, but most will figure out a way to adapt and survive, if in a smaller state and possibly as vassals to these empires. But there are a few moats that a single media entity can have in a world where Sam Altman is raising $7 trillion. Alex identifies a few of them, things such as unique data sets, a distinctive personality or point of view, intellectual property that people are attached to, or even to provide some kind of unique utility. And if all else fails, you can always put on parties for brands. I hope you enjoy the full conversation. Send me your feedback. My email is bmarsi at therebooting.com. All right, should we get started? Let's talk about the Super Bowl. I have a confession to make. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. 123 million people watched it. I am a big football fan, but for some reason, when it gets to the Super Bowl, unless the Eagles are in it, and they've only been in it three times in my lifetime, I tend to lose interest in it because it's it's a big spectacle and none of the spectacles. Wow. How was it? Was it a good game? I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't watch... I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I didn't. I didn't. Even I watched the Super Bowl. What were you doing? What were you doing instead? I, I had dinner here. What did you watch? Better Call Saul. What What were you doing? No, I actually I watched that True Detective. I can't tell if it's good or not, but I. No, I I think that's I think that's everyone's. I'm playing about that show. I have no idea. Yeah, (laughs) I like it. Well, I am alarmed. I thought you were a football fan, and I don't. It's just such a fun kind of cultural moment. I don't understand really. 
I don't know. I mean, don't you have like friends that throw parties? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I, I First of all, do you have you know. do, do you have friends? <laughs> You're in media for this long. I think you don't have many friends after that. Is that how, is that what happened? <laughs> Could be. So how is since I was not one of the hundred and twenty? I mean, it was a terrific game. Players. If you like football, it was a great game. I think it showed how the wily uh, Mahomes, you know, was able to kind of pull it out in the final play. I think we need to rethink overtime. But having said that. You know, he marched the team down the field and to win the game in overtime. It was a terrific game run. Okay, but what about it as as a spectacle, as a as a media oh, it, and a cultural event? I gotta Amazing. say, I think Amazing. that the, the halftime show, the halftime show was fantastic. the The production of the event was really good, and I'm coming at it from someone who's not biased by liking football because I still don't completely understand it. But yeah, it was great, and I think even even the Taylor Swift stuff was kind of handled in a pretty tasteful way. I think she was on screen for only 53 seconds, but you know her presence was felt there. And then Usher was incredible. That show was incredible. It felt really amazing. So, and he got not married. Like, not like Prince. Usher? He got married after the yeah. show. Yeah, hey, hey dude, Usher's no Prince, brother. No, I mean, wow. that's what I'm saying. Like The best halftime show ever is, is Prince, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. wouldn't even use those two artists in the same sentence. Please. No, what I was saying, oh, Jesus Christ. All right. Okay, Boomer. If, how, if, how is that boom, Boomery? How is that Boomery? I, I mean, Prince is the, the goat, right? I mean, come <laughs> no, on. Prince is incredible. That halftime show is worth watching, I think, every year, at least once. I think one of the things that it was brought up on the Puck podcast, The Powers That Be, it's a really good podcast. I like the Media Monday with their friend John Kelly. That... Fifty-three percent of Americans say that the super or that the NFL is America's sport. No, no longer it doubles baseball, which is still clinging on twenty-seven percent, and that's really remarkable to me. If you think back, just a few years ago, it looked like the NFL was on the ropes with all the CTE. They just powered through all of that CTE. Yeah, it's incredible. It's Kaepernick. The kneeling, getting pulled into politics, and Trump, and all that, and they just. Goodell doesn't get enough credit, I don't and think. He, I think he's going to go down as being a great head of the organization, to be honest. And you're right, he was on the ropes. The packaging and the merchandising and the storytelling around the game, I think, is unsurpassed globally. It's incredible. Both of those short films they made, you should watch them, Brian. You know, films about kind of the, the importance and legacy of football. There was a second one, which is escaping me, that was great. Are they like overwrought? I like my NFL films to be overwrought yeah, yeah, yeah. Even my wife said, my God, that was amazing. Yeah, it's a beautifully packaged sport. Yeah, they make it very profound. Cause, and it's like tinged with patriotism. Mm-hmm. I love that. A good flyover. I'm a sucker for a good flyover. I don't know why you wouldn't watch the game. I, you know, I don't know. I just didn't feel like it. That, it was just it was a game time decision. You were like Justin Bieber. Apparently he was asked to perform with Usher and he, apparently his answer was that he just wasn't feeling it. Yeah, I can see that way. He would probably want to usher to perform with him. I'm going to invite you over next year. We'll watch it together, Brian. <laughs> okay. But going back to the CT stuff, and even back in like 2014, Mark Cuban, who, you know, if you're going to talk a lot, you're going to get a lot of shit wrong. But Mark Cuban gets a lot of stuff wrong. He, he said that the NFL was going to implode because it was too greedy. And it reminded me that he's, he's since recanted this. Back in 2006, he said that only a moron would buy YouTube. Mm. I think the lesson is don't be outspoken. You know, you know what? Only a moron would have bought his company for four billion dollars or whatever. Broadcast.com. It was. The guy right. won the, the guy won a lottery. Well, that Come was on. Jerry Yang did that, and he he right. made the investment in Alibaba. So yeah, now he's Mr. DEI on Twitter. Give me a break, is he? Cuban. Yes, I love Cuban. I think he's great. I love his takes. Once again, we're on the other opposite sides of the point here. I mean, it's just I, when people square off, you know, sort of just to kind of build their celebrity more than making a point, it's annoying. And that's what this whole, you know, Cuban DEI thing is. Right, so it's better when Elon does it? No, I think on both sides it's equally annoying. He could have strong opinions about it and he has a platform. So, I mean, that's what we do. I guess. It's true. Right. But more importantly, how about the commercials? I spent some really formative years of my life at Adweek where there was a frenzy about the TV commercials. Two months leading up to the Super Bowl and then a good month afterwards. 
the USA Today ad meter, et cetera. It used to be that the, the commercials, it was the suspense, and then everyone released their commercials ahead of time on like YouTube. And I guess now, and then it became the, the web two cringy stuff. And now wh- what are we back at with? So you mean, you mean the web three stuff? Well, the, the, well, we had that weird crypto thing with yeah. Damon. But. You know, I think that the art of the television commercials in kind of retreat a little bit because it's just less important than it used to be somehow. And that doesn't mean that there weren't some terrific commercials because there were, and like a couple stood out to me. I mean, the Duncan one with Ben Affleck and Jayla was great. Why was that great? I just like, I was watching it. Oh, it's just funny. It it's just flew kind of, over my head. Her, the expressions on her face were great. To have him kind of just play the gag was, I thought, you know, good on him. He made fun of himself. That was cool. It was fun to see Brady in it. It was just a fun little gag. All right. The one that stood out to me is how many ads Timu bought. That was crazy. They, they bought six six ads in the Super Bowl. Probably cost them fifty million dollars. Well, they're spending one point seven billion, so it's not. I think ridiculous. that was last year. Yeah, huge number. Big how number. did they make any money? The ad that stood out to me was the Kanye ad, which was recorded on on an iPhone in his car, where he says, "You know, I spent all my money on this ad, so please go to my website." And we're selling shoes, and that's it. And then it cuts off. It was kind of crazy. But he remains really good at, at kind of putting himself into the conversation, I think. It was interesting. So the ads are still getting a ton of money, $7 million. I mean, it's a unique event outside of me, $124 million. Although there's more people like me who weren't actually tuned in. $124 million people actually watched it. So last gasp of mass media. Can't get that on Twitch. The thing I found interesting is that a lot of movie trailers came out and the trailer was really short. And then they just said trailer online now. So the ads were like mini ads just sending you to YouTube. How about QR? Is the QR all over the place or is that already? No, passed? no, the QR code wasn't there at all. I would really? say actually. Yeah, yeah, there were a few. There were a few, but really, the like, ad agencies were like, like, no, it. we don't like this at all. <laughs> we, we saw how it, it wasn't like the, we don't want this shit. the crypto bull. I don't know. To me, it felt really like so much of of the advertising was just trying to get you to to a website or a platform. <laughs> it was just basically like, okay, you're watching this on TV. Please, please leave and go to our to our YouTube channel. The Timu thing is is interesting though for another reason. It's sort of like Chinese manufacturing writ large going DTC via Timu instead of through American retailers. Timu, I think, did in 23, $16 billion, which was in revenue, which is, I guess, substantial. It's about three quarters of what Target did in digital revenue. But just the idea that one of the little kind of interesting twists in it is that if you send goods that are under $800, you get under U.S. import tariffs. So in some ways, it's sort of like not waiting for you know, American retailers to decide to stock Chinese goods, just go direct and cut out the middleman. It's kind of fascinating, actually. Single-handedly responsible for the, I think, about 10% of Meta's earnings growth is Timu advertising on the platforms. That's crazy. This is the TikTok playbook. I mean, TikTok spent almost as much to get distribution. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because they bought the distribution from the companies, the platforms that they ended up competing with. It's the American way. You think their model is sustainable? Because out of nowhere, this competitor to Amazon showed up. And then I was like, I, you know, it's I was with a group nowhere, of friends. Though. Is it? I well, mean, I mean Pinduoduo has been around for a while. And I think it's an offshoot of Pinduoduo. And I only listened to one podcast about their model and it sounded kind of interesting social shopping. Sure. But I mean, I think it came like from, you know, Amazon didn't have competition and all of a sudden it does. And then I, I start asking people sitting around me because I was like, has anybody ever actually used Timu? And everyone had used Timu. I said, oh yeah, it's so cheap. We use it all the time. I've never used it. Well, yeah, you know. Can you buy basics on there? I've never used it. Can you buy like... I don't know. I've, I've never used it. I don't. I think we're all like... <laughs> no, are we sure? <laughs> sure. I was using it. It's only, I only know them from the display ads, the programmatic display ads. With yeah, the, me the too. Tongue depressors. And- yeah, their funnels are really good. They're good at getting you to download their app with a spinning wheel of discounts. 
Oh, really? Have uh, you tried it? I click on the ads because I like to understand how ads work. Yeah, good. Speaking of sports, another big piece of news this week, probably not coincidentally, came news of Spulu, the ESPN, Fox, and Warner getting together to have a standalone <laughs> sports app that would seem to finally be the death knell of the cable bundle. Is that what we're seeing here, Troy? We're seeing something. It's just getting harder and harder to figure out where to get your stuff. I guess in my mind, the only, I just kind of processed it personally and I thought, let's say it's 30 or $40. I'm a big NFL fan. I don't watch a lot of other sports, maybe tennis a little bit. I pay for YouTube TV. I think it's about 75 bucks now. But the only thing I watch on YouTube TV other than occasionally kind of driving by CNN or MSNBC is sports. Mm. So if I was going to buy this cable spoolu, as you call it, this bundle, I would probably want to reevaluate whether I use YouTube TV. I actually also buy Sunday ticket on YouTube TV, which gets me every NFL game for like three or 400 bucks or something a year. To me, it feels like maybe... Fox, Warner, and ESPN have to get together to put a bundle together to go directly to the consumer with sports or risk losing that direct connection to you, to YouTube. To me, that feels like that that's a risk right now. So if people continue to leave the cable ecosystem or young people and they want to watch sports, YouTube is a much better platform they'll have a, a tremendous amount of distribution power. So it seems to me like this is kind of a defensive move and it's about extending a bundle to people that are uh, otherwise don't have cable other than maybe YouTube and focused on a younger demo would be my assessment. Do you think, I mean, I think it feels it's definitely defensive, but how much of this is because of also the regulatory blocking of a lot of M&A activity? So maybe these companies would be buying each other out in a different environment, but instead there's maybe a, an age of partnerships opening up. And I know we'll talk about Disney and Hulu and Epic later, but like the these kind of deals feel easier to get through regulatory. Well, I mean, remember Disney already bought half of the Fox empire and Discovery just bought Warner. So... There has already been a fair amount of consolidation. We expect yeah. another shoe to drop with Paramount and who knows what NBC is going to do. So I think that maybe there's a little, le it, there is probably scrutiny on the, these are enormous sort of clusters of media at this point. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason they're doing it. Or maybe they just realize that they got to combine their, their rights assets and go direct to the consumer. And that just forces unlikely friendships. Yeah, but it, it also reminds me of when Hulu was formed. Do you remember how it was roundly dismissed? I remember TechCrunch called it Clown Co., which Brian <laughs> really? Mazur called back to, which I, I really appreciate. I sent him a note because anyone who remembers TechCrunch calling, it was NewCo at the time. They didn't have a name for it before uh, Killar got there. Uh -huh. And the bet is always against these partnerships. Joint ventures never work in media, and then people—it's like micropayments. Anytime anyone mentions it, there's that ah, never works. And people just move on. They made Hulu work for a while. I mean, it didn't maybe long long term. I don't know, but I, Timu's I think Timu's doing, doing micropayments. Yeah, I know. I mean, micropayments are—I think they're inevitable. Nine ninety nine for a new dress. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and micropayments also work in, in gaming all the time. I know, I know. I was just using that as an example. We can do an entire episode on micropayments. But the reception well, but I think to it's, this it goes, was... It goes back to my point that media always like is suspicious of new things and therefore tries a little too little. I mean, I think this, is, I think this looks really interesting. It's, a, it's probably the first sports product that I would acquire. I get hmm. I get like eighty percent of U.S. sports just like off. Do you have YouTube TV, Alex? No, I don't. Seem kind of expensive. I I keep getting it for a specific event and then canceling it out. Hmm. I, I don't know. YouTube TV. It's like when uh, I subscribe. Brian tried to get me to subscribe to his. It's very expensive, by the way, Brian. Rebooting. No, it's not. It's, it's very, it's really very not. expensive. He tried to get me to subscribe today. I've literally been sure, helping about the guy for months and months and months, and and he tried. He, he won't give me. me for, he won't he give me the code. For a discount code. I'm not giving discount codes. 
People don't I don't want, want a discount code, Brian. I want it free. <laughs> You're telling me? You know, I think did we're you both see, in the same boat here. Have you seen Caddyshack? Do you remember Caddyshack? Yes. It's, you know, when Denunzio goes and asks for a Coke at the Caddyshack and he's like, 50 cents. He goes, I ain't paying 50 cents for no Coke. And he said, oh, too bad. You ain't getting no Coke. Lou's been losing at the track. So you ain't getting no Coke. Mad. All right. All right. I'll remember that next time you want something. <laughs> I'm going to disinvite you from my upcoming okay. dinner. Fine, that'll save $200. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Or even. I'm also upset, Troy, but I also kind of respect the hustle. Like he doesn't break it's character. It's not a hustle. Really. He doesn't break character. It's $200. Everyone is listening to this should. Uh, if I pay $200 for your product. It's like charging your priest when he comes over for Sunday oh, dinner. Guess what happens twice, <laughs> not once, but twice during mass. The collection basket goes around. Yeah. Oh, shit. Forgot about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they monetize that. It's like a mid-roll right after the homily because that gets people jazzed up. At least we're staying on topic. No, I thought that was good. We can now move to a heated discussion about your favorite social platform. I don't know. I want to talk. I want to wait. wait, We got to talk about Epic because Disney also put $1.5 billion into Epic. You know, I feel like the entertainment and gaming worlds have mostly operated in parallel. I mean, there's some overlap, but I feel like these are different worlds. They are finally coming together. I think if you want to see what it looks like when they operate well together, Sony is a pretty good example, right? So Sony has a big media production arm. The PlayStation is the most successful console and they'll do things like they still own the movie and game rights to Spider-Man. So they'll, the, the Spider-Man video game this year was a massive hit. And so they, they, they're making, managing to make it work. I think what happens a lot is that traditionally a lot of the video game development was outsourced. So the companies never built that muscle. And it's actually pretty hard. It was in the past pretty hard to time IP of a movie release to the release of a video game because yeah. just the, the, the production There are also right different there. clicks in high school. There are also different clicks in high school, that's right. So to me, this the, the Epic thing makes a lot of sense. Epic actually has, it's not the first partnership they're doing around Fortnite. They've done a few acquisitions, but they, the latest partnership they did was with Lego. So they, they launched a Minecraft-like Lego world within Fortnite, which is now a, a full-on platform. So you could see easily see like Disney properties making it into that platform without the risk and cost of, of what it would take to kind of onboard a bunch of people into something new. So they're all in on that. And I think Epic's going to be a massive company. That's the way to go. That's kind of the, that's the metaverse. They're the only company that's really building anything even close to that. I thought you were in the metaverse last week on this show. I'm not in the metaverse. I was just using, using spatial computing. Please try yeah. Why is Microsoft cutting? I mean, everyone's cutting jobs, but I was surprised that Microsoft was cutting 1,800, 1,900 jobs in their gaming. I know they bought Activision. Is this just like normal cleaning out middle management? Or no, is- I mean, the <laughs> normal cleaning out of middle management. <laughs> yeah. Is that what goes on, Brian? <laughs> isn't that what happens? That's the entire logic. That's what I hear when I hear synergies. But isn't that what synergies mean? I would have said that if you saw people in marketing departments get cut, but they cut deep, deep into into people gaming, in marketing you know? departments are middle management. They're no, no. What I, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you get these post mergers, readjustments where the company goes, well, we have a marketing department, so we don't need yeah. to, right? Yeah. But this is not this is not what happened here. Actually, if you if you look into it, the cuts were deep into into game development. So. They're pulling back on projects and they're cutting game development. The problem with Microsoft right now is that the Xbox is being outsold three to four times by the PlayStation. And so their strategy isn't working in getting boxes into people's homes. And they've spent, I think, a total of $73 billion in acquisitions, You know, including, of course, the, the big Activision one. But there was also Bethesda software. There's, there's different smaller studios. And they've just had a string of best case scenario duds worst case scenarios total failures released and so i think they've had a lot of trouble with these acquisitions so they're, they're genuinely in trouble they're going to announce something 
over the next few days, which people think is some sort of way to download these Xbox games to Sony or starting to become more open with their publishing. Because I'm sure there's at the board level, people are asking where all those dollars are going that they spent on game development. So, hey, Alex, I had my, my professor friend Joe over for the Super Bowl. Yeah. And the Halo ad came on during the Super Bowl. Yeah. And we were reminiscing about when we used to play Halo together on my Xbox. Wow. So that was like, it's incredible, right? How like Xbox is old, man. That was 27 years ago yeah. that we played something like that. 26, 27 years ago that we played Xbox together. And it's, and it's crazy, right? And they've been at it for a long time, but I think they lost the worst possible console generation. They lost the Xbox 360, which is when people started to download content onto their Xboxes. So that behavior changed and they expected to be able to bring that content forward. So at that time, people were invested in Sony and then it was very hard for Microsoft to claw back. So they're dealing with really big structural issues right now in their gaming division. And it's happening around gaming. Gaming at that scale is is struggling. There were a lot of overinvestments during the pandemic that are not panning out. Mm, must be rough. I mean, Microsoft's market caps only at three trillion. <laughs> I mean, Microsoft will be fine, but it, things are afoot. Right? They should get rid of middle management over there. Must be a dream to get rid of middle management or to be a middle manager. To be a middle <laughs> manager of Microsoft could be like, why are you coming for me? We got three trillion. It's fine. I feel like I'm middle management at the rebooting and I can't even get a free subscription. <laughs> yeah. Box. They, they canceled the snacks at the rebooting. I am not. I want to read I've it. I love you. I love it. I've sold a lot of the $1,000 ones. You haven't sold a lot. You sold three. I've sold way more than that. Exponentially. Well, then your recurring revenue would be higher than you reported to me today. <laughs> Exponentially from Therese. <laughs> Brian, how many of those do you think you sold because of this podcast? We don't even get a commission. Zero. Zero. I don't know. I mean, it's impossible. This is the problem of marketing. It, we need attribution. attribution. Attribution is always the problem. It's always the problem. I just want all our listeners to know that Brian is always downplaying the, the impact that this podcast has on no, his business. No, I don't. That's a lie. <laughs> That's a total lie. I actually, I regularly get emails that reference... PVA. In fact, I got a email from the Hidden Brain host. In oh, which, the guy that you admire. Yeah. Wow. He didn't actually hear <laughs> the reference to, to Hidden Brain, but someone emailed him about him being mentioned. Nice. That's like podcast royalty. You're like Kevin Bacon. Yeah. With that guy. Exactly. So. Wow. Nice job. Yeah. Again, it's just all attribution. Maybe you can sort of Kevin Bacon me a discount code for free. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see. Subscriptions, memberships, whatever you want to call them, they got a lot. There's a lot of optimization, and you got to position it. And I what, blah seen, blah blah. Just you don't want to be gap. You don't want to be fifty percent off all the time and have the, the discount codes and coupon mountain. And are you like giving us excuses for not giving us a free code? <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> wow. Maybe that's the difference between independent game development and the media. Whenever I talk to an, an indie game developer, I get a free code to their game. Yeah, I'm going to start using a paywall buster on his junk. Oh yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> okay. Well, we are very happy for your success, Brian. Congratulations. <laughs> this is a start. I mean, I'm just trying to trying to make a living here. No, I try to trying jam. To do. We talk about all the uh, doom and gloom, and I get called like no, a no, cynic no, no. from like nah, people nah, who work nah. for like private equity. We're glad. And then we're I'm glad like there. told that I can't like charge that I should be giving stuff away well, for free. Well, just for context, Alex. So I'm a big Brian Morrissey fan. That's why I do this podcast with him, and I love his writing and blah blah blah. And I've known him for a long time. And he used to be a he he's he's softened the edges have softened. But mm. Alex, 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 here's mm. the thing: is that I tried to jam a bunch of high cost capital up his rear end to get him to scale his business. High cost and, capital, and like I wanted him to take to take venture or to take at least angel money or some money from a, a Troy Young syndicate, and he refused. Actually, smart. You, you can all understand why. <laughs> <laughs> so. And what I wanted to do is light up the rebooting and put it on like on. on, what, on how did you just describe it? Shove a bunch of high cost capital. <laughs> 
I'm shocked that wasn't a yeah. very well. So you, anyway, and I wanted at the same time scary. I wanted a, heft, a hefty dose of of advisor shares, and I thought the future was bright for the rebooting. And uh-huh. Brian said, "I've been to hell and back, and I don't want your money. I'm happy to have you as a friend and a and a and an advisor, even <laughs> and though two hundred dollars first, yeah, and pay or one for the sub, if you want to be a TV for the insider." <laughs> and, and then he endeavored to build it on his own. The zero very interest lonesome. rate era is over, okay? And this you know what? Future. He's come so far, our little Brian. Yeah. I'm very proud of him. I did my Brian. first webinar the other week. Let's move on. Let's talk about threads, and then I want to get into the new internet, because I think that's I like the it. line about the threads is like, I try to find, it's like going to Applebee's. I can't go to threads. First of all, it's more Zuck. I don't need more Zuck. And I don't need more Applebee's. I would rather be in a dirty bar of screaming like red pills than I would be. Oh, we notice. We've we've noticed. Give me give me the case for threads, because Alex, you're in threads in the metaverse. I mean, I look, I don't know if how much of that is a bias because I got in early and I've been getting a ton of engagement. Look, and I, I was boycotting Facebook products for the longest time. So it was it was a hard switch for me. But I just find that it's it's genuinely a product where where I will get engagement and I will get people to have conversations with me. And I always found that I wasn't getting that on Twitter. I mean, you you've seen it on Twitter, Brian, where you a, a viral tweet will get you absolutely nothing, right? No, Brian's got some hits on Twitter. No, no, yeah, he he does, hits. but it's, it I doesn't. I got attacked that one time over the bodega tweet, but. It doesn't really add up to either click-throughs to your website or more followers or whatever, right? It's kind of like a yeah, but that's an well, attribution problem too. Well, well, the thing as I'm seeing is on Threads is that I will get a lot of followers if if I tweet, and also more importantly, like outside of the likes, I'll get a lot of some of these posts I made have like 60, 70 comments. You can make on a lot of friends when you when you go to a dance at your local church. <laughs> it's just not my. This is not my game. I mean, there's not sure. enough like meme lords and stuff. On yeah, that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I need more on crypto. But what is it like? Is it a sterile environment? I, I went on in the beginning. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Yeah, it was fine. No politics. Well, I mean, but is it's that not true? No there's got to be a it's ton no, of Israel well, Hamas on that. Yeah, there's there's plenty. Well, they of won't. Politics. They, they won't. They have a, a policy that they will not recommend algorithmically recommend political content. You can get it. That, that you, you do not follow. It. That you do not follow. Okay. It's, well, it's that's what I said. I mean, I Algorithmally recommend, recommend okay. political that makes content. Sense. That makes Where's sense. Where's the fun in that? But everybody complained that Facebook was pushing too much politics. Yeah. Now they don't, and everybody's Facebook complaining Facebook or Twitter? It. Facebook. Well, I mean, same. I think both. I, I understand right. them doing that. Yeah. Why, why deal with the hassle? Why? They've been burned. He doesn't want to stand in front of Congress one more time. Like, he's done with that shit, right? He just wants to, like, get ripped and put out the men's on, men on the floor. He doesn't yeah. want to speak to Josh Hawley. So, I'll blame him on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a very like, interesting choice, but I'm, I think you made the right choice of all yeah. of our elected representatives, yeah. the creme de la creme of our political class. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the new internet. I want to keep this brisk. Trey, you're, you're writing, but did you publish this already or is this a preview? Is this part of PVA Plus? Yeah, it's part of my subscription package that I extended. We tried to that free. actually digitally, where it's like you get the next day's article like the night before. <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted to pay for that. Yesterday's <laughs> news today <laughs> or tomorrow. Windowing. It's a good yeah. idea. Obviously, a lot of changes are going on. So let's talk about what what is going to be the new internet. Because I think you've got, I think you have something that you need to brand with it, the internet not being something you go to get, but that comes to you. But you just need to brand it. You mean like TM? I have something like from feed to fetch or seek to fetch. You need some kind of. I don't know. It's just I was looking for the shape of things to come, and I just felt like there were a bunch of people doing things that was starting to tell that story. Actually, where it originally started is I was reminded of that kid's book, the Topsy Turvies. Do you have that, Alex? Good I do book. not, but I might buy it now. I saw it in here. Yeah, everything is upside down in topsy-turvy land. And it struck me that the internet is kind of going upside down. You know, I was looking at what, I mean, this is a small data point, but what the browser company was doing with Arc, what I was seeing in how I was using OpenAI on my phone in particular, or ChatGPT on my phone, the perplexity for sure. I've been playing with the, I don't know if you guys use it much, but the Google app, 
on your phone is a kind of content aggregator, and now it's mm-hmm. being powered by Gemini, their ChatGPT competitor. And all of these things suggested to me that the battle was heating up and it looked really different than the last one. And it was about the internet fundamentally coming to you. And it just kind of challenged how I always thought about it from, I don't know, 30 years ago when I started using the internet, where I was getting on a browser to go out onto the internet to do things. And obviously that that model evolved a little bit when search in the browser kind of became as one when the navigation bar became a search mm-hmm. bar. It was Chrome and Google together. But I always think of the, I guess my mental model of the internet is something that you seek. You go out and seek things. And that much of what I'm seeing in the next wave is about how it all comes back to you. And of course, when everything comes back to you, the internet, particularly for, for media, but for everybody, is monetized at the edge, right? Like it pushes traffic out. Google is a toll booth where traffic is pushed out. The link is the currency. Whether it's banners or branded content or whatever it is, the value is captured on the periphery by people that take that traffic and try to, to harvest it into to ad dollars. So not only, you know, when the model changes, how we think about the advertising needs to change a lot. And, and so I started seeing that. I thought I would write a bit about, uh, about it. And think about it from the perspective of what advertising is going to look like and also what content survives that fundamental transition. And the content one has been talked about a lot, right? And I think it's it's sort of like the stuff we know that commodity content, whether that's basic evergreen stuff, any, anything that's close to, that's not heavily processed by a human mind in terms of, or by reporting and perspective of a, invested journalist, but like product reviews and sports scores and weather and static knowledge like Wikipedia or undistinguished celebrity stuff. The stuff that's really what scale publishers used in the kind of digital media era to generate traffic. That stuff just gets eaten up. It's gone. And the interesting thing, and Alex, you kind of convinced me of this, that it doesn't really matter because it exists whether it gets paid for or not to, to a large degree because people make that content. People and now increasingly robots make that content. And then video, and the thing, my thing about video is that, I guess I'm talking a lot right now, I'll stop. You're looking, starting to look bored, Brian. No, but, I'm not bored. But v- video, it, it's not just video. I guess video is like just becoming humanity on their phones on YouTube, everywhere. Like video is just part of our daily communication vocabulary. And the great thing about video in the future is it can still be monetized because video can travel with with an ad message. Then there's the third type of content. And I think it's the kind of stuff that you write, Brian, that the FP writes, or the, a lot of it is uh, the blood of the best sort of most valuable is probably caters to business audiences and stuff. But I think of that as kind of IP content. And I don't think much changes there, to be honest. I think people still seek it out. The brands really matter that you want a relationship with those experts or those personalities that create that content and the the brands that create that content. So half of the world gets decimated and then there's these other two constituencies that go on and morph and stuff. But I guess overall, and we can get into it in a sec, I'll just pause, but when more stuff happens inside of a new application like Perplexity or a browser, when more of it is brought back to you, what happens to the kind of internet economy? And that's what I was studying and I had, or studying, that's what I was just thinking about and I had a little epiphany about it, which was really, it started with, there's a thing that happens, I don't know if any of our audience or you guys use Perplexity, but it recommends three things as, I think they call it related after you ask the chatbot something, right? I just thought, oh my God, those are so valuable. Those are like the links on Google. That those related links that come that help you after you've asked for something and got it back are the new gold in this system because they take you to the next step, which might be finding the right TV or finding a price on it or whatever. And obviously we're really early in how this matures as a 
as a monetized platform, but that's really what I wanted to explore. I don't know. It's a story of like media, but media goes first, but text goes first. And this is going to play out across the whole economy, I think. And people can, it's not just a media story. I'm, I'm finally finishing this Mustafa Suleiman book, Coming Wave. He has a great term, which I think applies to a lot of this content you said is really endangered. And it's cognitive manual labor, because a lot of it is cognitive manual labor. We think about cognitive manual labor as like data entry or the fifth follow-up sales email. And all that stuff is going to be replaced. We're going to go through a period, he says, about with augmentation. But ultimately, this is, and these are his words, and he co-founded DeepMind. This is labor replacement. It's not augmentation. It's going to Did you like that book? Would you recommend that book to me? Yeah, I didn't think he needed to bring in all the biotech stuff, but it's fine. What, what's, what's all the biotech stuff? Well, he's trying to combine with the coming wave to go beyond just AI and to bring in synthetic biology and everything that you know, it just depends on where you want to draw the line. And now, did you read that book or did you listen to it running on the beach in Miami? No, I, was, I, I read it. I'm, I'm a little old school. And I think we're like, I don't want to get into too much of the what we're losing stuff because I do want to have Kyle Chake on to talk about his book, Filter World, because I, I think he talks a lot about what we lose when this stuff comes to us. We don't seek it out because a lot of the language of the internet was we browse, we seek, we surf the early internet. We, and now... With uh, To me, this isn't a new era. It's just the ultimate, this is where platforms were leading us to, in that we're, we're like those precogs in Minority Report that are just like immersed in some sort of liquid and floating there and having an endless feed of TikTok bullshit shoved down our throats. And we don't seek anything out. Everything comes to us. Our taste is defined by algorithms. Everything is flattened. I don't know. I think it'll be good in some ways. I think that there's going to be a reaction against it for a lot of people because it's it's not going to be, that's not going to be a very inspiring existence. Just having constantly everything just come to you? Really? I think the ultimate version of that is TikTok. You know, AI it becomes pretty dystopian pretty quickly because I mean, forget advertising because you can build systems that are very efficient at advertising, but it does mean that we become less attuned to discovery and, and finding new things out. Or, 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 you know, as proponents of the algorithm would say, it's like it exposes things that we would have never seen before. New voices, new everything. Question is, do we trust these platforms? Because it only happens at a platform level as well, right? Right. But this is ultimately a centralizing. When you move into this world of things coming to you rather than you going to, to get things, that implies that we're entering even more centralization. I mean, I think we're entering like an age of empires. And it's going to be, you look at the size of these trillion, $3 trillion market cap, that's insane. That's nuts. Yeah, That is like yeah. straight nuts. The fact that Sam Altman with a straight face is going around the world saying he's going to raise seven, tr- is it $7 trillion valuation or is that just like how No, he's no, raising no, really. $7 trillion. <laughs> what the fuck? Or there's speculation that he's raising. It, this is nuts. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're basically, this is going to be an age of empire, right? How can it not be? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at, at how people are going to be using the internet in the future, it's going to be filtered through some sort of platform, right? And even if we, people have said text is dying, so if you want to protect yourself, start making videos. Where? It's going to be on YouTube, right? And that's going to feed their LLMs. So these companies are going to be very hard to stop unless they get regulated somehow. And I am a proponent for, you know, this kind of federated universe of of the internet, you know, RSS feed and Mastodon and things like that. But I don't realistically think that that's what people want long term. And I think they will always choose the the easy You know, Alex, I kind of touched on this a little bit, but I do regret that we never did federation better. Like federation that is essentially the modern internet was so fucked up because it didn't include identity, it didn't include yeah. payments. Payments, yeah. It d- never really had an accommodation for a sensible ad model that actually would only work well across sessions, right? Mm-hmm. So that you had to have all these idiots in the middle, like hacking the system to create retargeting systems and building the Lumiscape and all that. I regret that we didn't do federation better, which would have let 
a million flowers bloom. I don't want AOL world. I don't want to be tube fed. I love the discovery piece, but federation as it evolved on the internet was so suboptimal that it kind of led us to where we are. Yeah, because there was there, there, was there weren't enough no, protocols or whatever. I don't yeah, know, and especially say. no ways to monetize it or protect it, right? So it kind of gave an opening, and and since then every platform's tried to kind of break the federation of podcasting, for example, right? By building new tools around it, you know, advertising models. So, yeah, it's a shame. But just to be a little, maybe not optimistic, but a little bit more productive for the people making content. What do they do in this in this world? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think there's fewer folks engaged in it. The positive is is that kind of I think fewer people have m- sort of mind sucking, traffic generating editorial jobs, and I think that people that have something to say that are deep experts or bring passion to open up worlds to new people and provide perspective, I think that doesn't go away. A chatbot can't write what I write. Like it's impossible. It will. <laughs> well, but the, the, you know, the question, w- the question is, Troy. I mean, I don't want to be flippant about this, but I think that the value of how you write it is less than fifty percent of the value of the content, and so therefore, most people will be okay with not having all your great writing around it. Most people will be okay oh, hearing yeah. the, the, the conversation. It's true, but the it's conversational. not a, right. But it's hopefully well crafted. But it's more than that. It's a, a unique perspective, and it's it's my voice. And I'm not trying to sing. You know, I just it, I yeah, think yeah, that sure, that stuff sure. is hard Very to nice replicate. But but you know, I'll tell you, I, I'm on the board of this company. They were excited about a bunch of work they were doing in AI that supported their editorial process, and they were like, "Look, we can generate these emails that we used to have someone write with kind of perfunctory content that." essentially summarized stuff that they had written. It turns out in this particular case that much of the work that's being done can be replicated relatively easily. And I mean, I really challenged the team on the call with like, so what next guys? Because if that's the case and you, you, you write this story over a couple of years, you're dead. Yeah. You're you're dead. And I mean, the, the natural kind of response is, well, we need to do more personality stuff and do more video and all of that. But making video and monetizing video on social platforms has not been an easy business for anyone. Mm. Not with the tariffs from the platforms, not with an imperfect ways of selling brand partnerships to have them piggyback your content on TikTok or on Instagram. It's a tough business. But it's also just word of warning, right? If you think there's there's a belief right now that video is at least protectable because it's not something that the AI can absorb and chew up quite as easily. Meanwhile, Google's biggest source of, I think you need one of three things to do well in the AI world, right? One is like a a strong entertainment IP or kind of a sport or something like that to a specific identity personality, which is what you're doing, Troy, which is what you're doing, Brian. And then three is like having a very protectable data set. If your work is based off stuff that is available over the open internet, you're dead in the water. And by automating it, you're just accelerating your demise, right? So if you look at Google, Google is is having the same existential issues going like, okay, well, what's our data set? What what do we own, right? They own YouTube and more people are shifting all their content into YouTube because that feels like less dangerous than having it. It feels like the website with text on it is, is dead in the water. And that's also going to be chewed up and spit out in some sort of way. And that doesn't mean there won't be any business in it. It just means that starting now to protect yourself and potentially striking deals with some of these, knowing that some of these AI providers, the big platforms, are also facing existential threats and they want to also secure the content, puts some of the content providers into actually a powerful position, right? I think I think there's a moment now where you can say, we're the ones who hold this content and you need to work with us now. And I'm not seeing a lot of that. Instead, we're seeing the same mistakes, which are like, well, oh, we're going to just I, use again, these Again, I'm going to challenge you on that. You are, you are seeing a lot of it. You are seeing the major media companies line up in opposition to the LLMs and say, pay us for our content. 
No, that's true. Uh, yes. The, 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 the little guys don't have a say in this. There's no spot at the table for a mid-sized publisher. In, in, at least in the first wave, there's yeah. not. Bustle takes the check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 They don't, and they do. I mean, what are they going to be like? No, sorry, Sam. We, we, I mean, come on. Well, but I think even if you're not at the Take table, a check, I, go throw a party. I do think that spending time right now automating this little newsletter that you had and completely devaluing it and training the model while you're doing it is probably not a, the best use of time, right? And so That's why I got to go behind paywalls. Exactly, right? So, you're going to be, <laughs> yeah. Sam Altman's not getting my unique data set. Well, nobody is, apparently. We're not. <laughs> no, there's dozens of people who are, okay? I'd like you guys to be dozens plus two. What do you think of all this, Brian? I'd like to challenge you beyond the like small is beautiful line that you'll yeah. that we've talked about a lot. How did you process all this stuff? How did I process it all? I mean, to me, it's Again, I go back to the age of empires thing. At the at the end of the day, you have to decide whether you're going to live within one of those empires and try to find some little pocket. And and there that exists. Like we talk about videos so hard to make money. Well, maybe for big publishing companies, but YouTube's paid out seventy billion dollars in the last three years to creators. Mm, right. I and mean, there's lots of that's rich real influencers money. too. Lots of people Correct. make money. That is a sure. real economy that's going on. On YouTube, and and that's gonna spread. I wrote you. You didn't read it because you guys are not TRB Pro members, but I wrote about switching platforms from Substack to Ghost, and I believe in Substack as a platform. I know a lot of people who are making nice livings on Substack. It just doesn't work for the kind of business that I'm building, but I think that will continue. Did you did you see that interview that the Medium CEO did the Semaphore? We should have had him on. He had he had an interesting. He basically was like. Do you want to do you want to bring him on? We can bring him on. Completely against "quote unquote" professional media, and they just want to be like a source for expert, which makes a lot of sense to me because that works better than when they were trying to build the. Yeah, reality. I think beyond talking his book, it's pro- that's a really interesting topic to have someone who's well informed talk about it is cool. Alex, if he can do that, we should get him on. Let's do it. But I do think that there is going to be a artisanal sort of reaction to all of this. So I think one moat is going to be this artisanal, it's the vinyl. I did you see I saw this this TikTok video or something that got posted probably on on X. I've just given up on Twitter. I was going to call it X he won. And it was this Gen Z person trying to convince her mom to throw away her CDs. She's like, no, I want them here. I want to look through them and be like, oh my God, look, Joni Mitchell, I want to listen to this. And the Gen Z daughter didn't understand this at all. And of course, the mom was right, because just relying on the Spotify algorithms is, is not no way to live. And I think there's just going to be a reaction to it. So if you can be part of that reaction, if you can have a unique data set and all that boring stuff, great. I think personality <laughs> and differentiation can get you so far. Well, because like life cannot just be about unique data sets. I just can't. I just I find that incredibly dull and boring. I don't think it is. I think if if anything, you should I think when we like talk we about have unique- literally just been I'm sorry to be like the sort of the Luddite here, but we've Please do. we've just been we've just been reduced to to being data sets for a bunch of empires that are worth trillions of dollars that didn't ask for permission to vacuum up all of our thoughts. And then create a stew with it and say, no, 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 no. This was just freely available. We just took it. And and then to build these moats to have these trillion dollar companies. And then guess what? These technologies are going to be used by governments against the citizens. It's not a good situation as far as I'm concerned. Sure. But let me kind of run through because I think forget about tax evasion, by the way. That's out the window. When we talk How about, how can AI not find the people who are cheating their taxes? Yeah, I would like before we wrap up because we're going over. <laughs> I have a, a framing for the four modes that I think you need to start developing in an AI world. It doesn't mean you have to have every one of these, but I think a little bit of everything is is kind of good. So it's it's kind of the four pillars, right? One is some sort of owned IP that is a media brand, like I said, or an entertainment brand. Just build out your brand so that it means something, even if it's a personal brand. Unique data set, which is content that is only accessible outside of the AI. Now, that's the podcasters having a Patreon version 
of an extra episode or behind the scenes, whatever that is, just create unique data, unique content that is only available to a select few. Build personality, people get attached to people. And then also the last one, which is obviously the hardest, which I think is what games do really well at, is build utility, right? Is there a reason to go to your property that it feels different to the others? Now, it could be a chat room. It could be a way to listen to a radio show while you're chatting with other people, whatever that is. I think there's a lot of utility that can be built that exists outside of the existing platforms that you can build into your site or that you can white label. You know, a lot of people are moving away from Patreon and using fourth wall, which is a white label version of building your own site. So there are things that you can do. So these are these are my four pillars. I thought I wanted to share them. I'm working through those. It's work in progress. But I, you said I don't charge for this. It's fucking crazy. You should. You should. They're, div- they're divine pillars. They are. Amateurs always undercut the professionals. <laughs> I don't yeah, know how to respond to that. <laughs> no, it's always the biggest. That's why. That's why medium is like going away. Because he was saying in the interview, he's like, "I've got these whiny journalists who are like, I can only make one hundred seventy-five dollars or whatever." He's like, "We've got these experts. They're astrophysicists. They make their money <laughs> like doing real work. They just do this stuff to, like they get a bunch of claps or whatever, and they're happy. They get influence, and and that's great. And so I, I celebrate that. That's why this." class of quote unquote the media is is under so much pressure is because there's always going to be a lot of people particularly in, in an open system that will gladly create stuff for free so that's right it's part of the deal wow all right the free market goes on i hope we feel that we were productive today and and shared things with people that they might find useful rather than just doom and gloom as always, please subscribe and pay for Brian's premium product. I was going to ask you guys, I know you're shutting it down, Alex. I am shutting it down. I was going to ask if you had a, a good product because we like to end with that. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Good. What about the humble chicken wing? Oh, man. I mean, if you want to go, if you want to, if you want to abstract this, I think that's fine. Is the Vision Pro a good product? I do think the Vision Pro remains a good product. It feels very much like the first iPhone, where it has the utilities very tightly contained, and Apple has omitted things that we all feel should be there. But it I is wonder a, if you graph product. out the amount of time you use it per day or week, if that doesn't steadily decline until it's just a souvenir on your shelf. It might well become, I'll keep checking back in. I did want to mention one thing that I think would be useful for us and other publishers is that Notion has essentially like stealthily built a very smart way of building agents around your content. So Notion, of course, is a kind of data management system. You can create tables and all sorts of things that replaces Google Docs in a way, but it's much more advanced. And what you can do with Notion is create spaces where you drop all your content and it could be every transcript of our podcast, right, for example, or it could be every article or specific information about a company like healthcare information or HR stuff. And you, you just drop it in there. You don't particularly organize it. And then you have an AI that they charge a few bucks a month for extra that will query that stuff. And I think that as you're building a small business and you need to manage your content and you're doing CRM and you're making deals and you're onboarding people, it's a really great tool to kind of connect everything. And it beats Google at doing that. And I'm sure they'll do it with Google Do you think Notion is a good product? It's a great product, and I think it's it does a lot, but it has a learning curve. You know? Do you use it, Brian? Well, I have a theory. There's Notion people and there's not Notion people. The people who are into Notion, it's kind of like webinars. The people who are into webinars, I think, go to a lot of webinars. Are, the people that are into webinars are really into them. Yeah, and the people <laughs> who are into Notion are extremely into Notion. And then there's like 85% of the population that is, are like, nah. That's my theory. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, but I want, I just want to be productive about this. I was one of those people. I always found that Notion had, was just doing too much. I liked things that were simpler. Mm-hmm. I think that what has, it has, it has fundamentally changed my, because it, it required like an organized mind because you had to go where the things were and you had to structure things. 
But what AI allows you to do is just dump stuff in it and query it. Oh, yeah, and that changed yeah. things for me. Because it was always like a project manager tool, I always Yes, thought. it, it right, totally right. is. <laughs> what I like about it is it's fast and it's good software. And you know what I did, Alex, is that I used to be a big fan of Evernote. Right. And Evernote is so bad. It crashes all the time. It's junky. I mean, that's that's all a private equity now, right? Evernote, sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the software got corrupted by private equity. I think so. Yeah, it feels I like it. So, so somebody in the audience will tell me if I'm wrong, but it, private know. equity has a very necessary place in the capitalist <laughs> ecosystem. <laughs> Let's yeah. do that okay. the next yeah. time. Right. You know, there's there are these scenes in the ocean when a whale dies, and then this ecosystem builds around him, just eating at its flesh until it's gone. That's what yeah. it, that's what it is. No, cuz in private equity the whale's still alive. <laughs> Just being eaten alive. <laughs> Thank you all for listening and if you like this podcast, I hope you do. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast that takes ratings and reviews. Always like to get those and if you have feedback, do send me a note. My email is bmarcy at therebooting.com. Be back next week. Brian you literally won't give me a free sub? You're joking, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm really not. I just decided oh, to dig in my heels. I hope this lasts forever. I, already, I offered to buy you dinner, jerk off. I don't care. I will pay you. I, this is how strongly I feel. If you buy the $200 subscription, I'll buy my own fucking dinner. How's that? <laughs> Run the credit card. Run it. Business card, because that's a, that's, I'm going to write I'm going to hack it. I'm going to use a paywall buster. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> see you. All right. See you guys later. Okay.